Mark chapter 11, verse 12, and it reads, Columbia, y'all ready? Baltimore, let's do this, those online. Now the next day, somebody say the next day. When they had come out from Bethany, he, being Jesus, was hungry. About to find out in a million, Jesus was hangry. And seen from afar a fig tree, somebody say a fig tree. Somebody just say, that's me. Fig tree having leaves. He went to see if perhaps he would find something on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves. Somebody say nothing but leaves. For it was not the season for figs. In response, Jesus said to it, let no one eat fruit from you ever again. And his disciples heard it. Skip over to verse 20. It reads this. It says, now in the morning as they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. Peter remarked and said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree which you cursed is withered away. So Jesus answered and said to him, have faith in God. For surely I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says, somebody say those things he says, those things he says. How many people know that prayer is good? Prayer is amazing. Prayer is important. Prayer pushes back the enemy. Prayer happens every Saturday at 9 a.m. You should come to prayer. Somebody say amen. amen. Prayer is good. But sometimes, say the message, and you have to work this out in your own theology, sometimes prayer is lazy. Because sometimes prayer is us wanting God to do something that our faith should do. And when we put it on God, if he doesn't do it, we can say he hasn't answered our prayer. We don't have to face the fact that maybe my faith didn't produce it. He didn't say whatever you pray. He said whatever you say will be done. You will have whatever he says. And here comes prayer. Therefore, I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. Father God, we're grateful. We're thankful. For this moment of miracles, this isn't church. This is an encounter between heaven and earth. God, you're here. You're in Columbia. You're in Baltimore. You're in BWI. You're in every living room, every kitchen, every car that's tuning in. God, you've come to move in our midst, to demonstrate your power. God, we say, have your way. In the mattress name of Jesus, we pray. Somebody shout amen. Amen and amen. We are starting a brand new series today called Mature-ish. Mature, come on. Say it with somebody say Mature-ish. What does that mean? It means I'm mature, kind of, sometimes. Depends on how you catch me. Depends on if my thumb hurts or not. My wife would tell you I'm the biggest baby when I'm not feeling well. I act like a three-year-old, but I'm a grown man when I'm not in pain. So it's all the way good. We're starting a series called mature is talking about what it means to be mature in Christ. And before we do, I know you're getting settled. You're pulling out your notes to take notes and all that. I do need you to scream two more times, and then I'll preach. Y'all ready? Here's the first time to scream. So as you know, over the last four weeks, three weeks ago, was Welcome Home Sunday. 
And our focus over the last four weeks was helping people who have not found a home and say, hey, Union Church can be your home. And more importantly, if you haven't found a savior, Jesus is looking for you. Watch this. In the last four weeks, 133 people have surrendered their life to Jesus, have made a decision that I am going to become a follower. Come on, somebody celebrate as if someone's life was transformed. That's a golf clap and y'all chilling. That's all right. I'm going to give you an opportunity. Don't respond with that weakness on this one. From the beginning of this year, 1,166 people have made a decision to follow Christ, have crossed from death into life. Hear me. That is why we exist as a church. People that were lost that are now found. People that were dead that are now alive in Jesus, somebody say amen. I've said it a few weeks ago, and you know it. Our church is one of the most diverse churches on the planet. We have over four different generations that are represented here at Union Church. And it's not just age diversity, but culture. Every ethnic background and continent is represented and all that other good stuff. But hear me, the diversity is not just age and ethnicity. The diversity is in people's walk with Christ. At Union Church, we have people that are in every single stage of their journey with Christ. We have people at Union Church that you ain't saved. I'm not going to shout about that. You shouldn't, but you're not. I know you're not. Your mama knows you're not. But it's all good. We're glad you're here. Hear me. Union Church is a church where you don't have to believe before you belong. It's a place where as you're working your faith out, as you're figuring out what you believe, still come. This is not a place where you're going to be judged. This is not a place where you're going to be looked down on. This is not a place where people are going to say, why don't you have it together yet? Hear me, nobody here has it all the way together. We're all in pursuit, in process. Somebody say, I'm in process. So don't test me in the parking lot because I'm in process. And I might process all over you, so just... Stay out of my way. We have people that haven't come to Christ yet. We have people that have been saved for two weeks, for three weeks, for 10 weeks. We have babes in Christ. We have people that have been walking with God for some time now. And then we have some people that they haven't just walked with God. They've proven God. Hear me. There's a difference between walking with God and proving God. Walking with God is, hey, I've read in my word that God is a healer. Proving God is, hey, God has healed me. Walking with God is I know that he's a provider. Proving God is let me show you where he has provided for me in my life. I'm not telling you a Bible verse I've memorized. I'm telling you a Bible verse that has come to pass in my life. You can't shake my faith. You can't wrestle with my faith. I don't care what little archaeological digs you go on and which bones you bring up. I have seen the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Somebody say process. And just as a natural baby grows in maturity, so us in faith, we must grow in maturity. You're not born a super saint. By the way, there's no such thing as a super saint. We're all growing in our maturity. Now, here's the problem. If our understanding and our mindset of discipleship is this, my goal is to be like Jesus then it doesn't matter how long you've been saved. You ain't there yet. Come on, help me preach. I'm having fun today. Look at somebody next to you. Just tell them you ain't there yet. 
Come on, come on. Just, just, just be ignorant. Just, just, you've been wondering. Just tell me, you, you ain't there yet. You're on your way. You're on your way. You're, you're, you're moving. You're, you're processing. You're progressing. You ain't Jesus. And because we are not fully formed in Christ, by the way, you will never be there until you make it to eternity. There's always more growth that God wants to do in our life. Here's the problem. Some of us think that we have arrived because our goal was never to be like Jesus. Our goal was only to outrun our past. Some of us, when we got saved, we got saved at rock bottom. And we were so exhausted with the drama, so exhausted with the ratchetness, so exhausted with drinking ourselves to sleep and crying ourselves to sleep and all that that we were running from. Our only focus was, I want peace. I want joy. I want to get away from that. The problem is, if that's your motivation as a Christian, at some point you will get to a place of peace. At some point where you get where you don't even remember being ratchet because it was so far ago. You're like, I don't even remember that. So you look, you ever look at pictures and you look at yourself and you don't even recognize yourself because it was so long ago. It, it seems like a distant life. You will get to a place where you have more than enough and you can be generous on every single occasion. And if your only goal was peace, you'll stop there. You feel like I'm good. No, you're not like Jesus. You're just not ratchet anymore. Some of us, our goal is not to be like Jesus. Our goal is just to be better than. Come, come on, come on now. This, this things they won't tell you in church. Everybody has that person that they judge. I don't care who you are. I don't care how safe you think you are. You have that person. You're just like, they struggle with this, and they be cussing their kids out, and they this, and at least I'm not. And we feel good about ourselves. Because we're not like, some of y'all could put that name right there right now. Here's what Paul said. He said, you're in error because you compare yourself by yourself. Another human being is not my competition and is not my comparison. We look up to generals in the faith like Bishop or Pastor Ron or Bishop Jakes or, or Tony Evans or Bill, you know, all these different type of people. But hear me, even the great men and women of the faith, they are not our goal. Jesus is. And because Jesus is my journey of faith, my journey of maturity should never. You, you, you ever heard the, the saying that age and maturity travels together? But sometimes age travels alone. You know, you can get older, but not more mature. Come on, I know some of you are, are what we would consider older and it'll take you a bit, but go back to your childhood. Do you remember the moment that you realized that not every adult was mature? You, you remember that moment, maybe you were 12, maybe you were nine, that moment where you realized they are five times older than me, but I'm pretty sure I'm more mature than they are. I remember a moment, I was 12 years old, I was at the DMV with my aunt in Tallahassee, Florida. Parents thought it would be a good idea to send us to Florida for the summer. It was a, anyway, but um, Lord help us. We're sitting in this DMV. The air condition broke. I mean, it's country. It's hot. Everybody's miserable. And we're sitting there for hours waiting for her to change her driver's license or whatever it may be. And this woman gets up. And, and I don't mean to be judgmental, but it's what I do for a living. She, um, she just looked. She looked like life had gotten the best of her. I'm not going to lie. She looked like she got in a fist fight with life, and life won, and left her. For, I mean, she just, you know, some people, you just, you know, you look some people, you don't look like what you've been through. Some people do look like 
what they've been through. So she gets up and she walks over to the vending machine. And she takes out one of them dollars that looks like it's the last one she got. She puts it in the vending machine, and I don't remember what she got, Doritos, M&Ms, or whatever, but the vending machine started to turn, and that thing got right about to drop, and it got stuck. And this woman, she was probably, I don't know, I was 12, so, you know, for me, old people at 12 were like 35. I don't know how old she was. I just know Bruce Lee had nothing on her. She started going up the I mean, throwing haymakers of that vending machine. I mean, kicking it, shaking it. She's cussing the vending machine, cursing it from the roots up. Security dragged her out. And I'm like, oh, that's how adults act. Okay, I'm good here at 12. I Sometimes you can get older, but not more mature. And the harsh, difficult reality is some of us can sit in church for decades but not mature in our faith. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 1. Here's what Paul said about maturity. He said, therefore, leaving the elementary teachings about the Christ. Here's what Paul said. He said, I'm tired of preaching the basics. He said, I'm tired of preaching the baby lessons over and over again. He said, no, we need to move on to maturity. He said, not laying again a foundation. Now, I got to set you up because last service, he looked at me like, Pastor, there was nothing to shout about. This is nothing to shout about, so we're going, you're going to be all right. You good? He said, here's what the basics are. The foundation is the repentance from dead works, faith towards God, instruction about washing. Another translation said baptisms. By the way, do you know there's not one baptisms? There's three. There's baptism in salvation. There's baptism in water. And then there's the baptism of the Holy Spirit. This word washings is plural. It says laying on of hands, repentance from dead works, faith towards God, instruction of washing, laying on hands about the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. Paul said, here's what the basics of our faith is. You need to be able to theologically explain how the laying on of hands works. He said, said, here's the basics. You need to help people understand how there is no more works that can get you in relationship with God. What's the whole point of reading? I'm looking at Paul. I'm like, Paul, that's not elementary. Paul, that ain't basic. I'm a preacher, and I preach, but... I don't know if I could totally explain eternal judgment. I don't got that one all figured out of Revelations. I've read Revelations like eight times. I think I need eight more times before I understand the white horse and the dragon, the tongue. And the... Here's what Paul was saying. He said, hey, 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 hey. This is something that we have to grow in, guys. Like, like it doesn't happen just through osmosis. It doesn't happen through just sitting in a church. Like, we have to be intentional about, I want to become more like Christ every single day. This passage that we were reading, Jesus had just rode into the city of Jerusalem. It's called the triumphant entry. It's when he was on the donkey, and they began to scream and shout and said, Hosanna, glory to God in the highest. They took palm branches and they put it on the ground and they took their cloaks off and they let them ride in. And, and after all that was happened, Jesus was hungry and he was tired and they were making their way over to where they were going to spend the night. It says, as Jesus was walking, it says he saw a fig tree with fig leaves on it, a tree with leaves. Now, for the sake of time, let me just give you this revelation. Every time you see a tree in the Bible, it represents a person. 
The Bible says in Psalm chapter 2 that we will be like trees planted by streams of living water. It talks about the trees of Lebanon. It's referring to people. So Jesus looks at this person prophetically. He looks at this tree and he sees leaves and the Bible says that he's hungry. So he walks up to the tree to see if the tree has anything to nourish him. Here's a side point. Jesus actually desires something from you. You actually have something that brings Jesus joy, that brings him fulfillment, that brings him purpose. Your worship, your praise, your relationship, your intimacy with God, your desire to partner with him in the advancing of the kingdom. He is not just an island on himself saying, I don't need you. He doesn't need us, but he wants us. So he walks up to this tree. It says he looks for figs and he sees no figs. It was a beautiful tree. It, it, it was a tree that was full of leaves. It just had no fruit. I don't know what happened to Jesus. I don't know if he skipped breakfast and lunch and it was dinner time. But for some reason, Jesus was hangry. And he looks at this fruitless tree that is beautiful and has all these leaves. And he said, be cursed. Could you imagine the disciples? Like, May no one ever eat from you again. Peter's like, Gosh, I can just imagine the moment. Because when it all went down, nobody said anything. You remember with your mama when you were young and when your siblings got wild out? It was the quietest ride home ever. I'm invisible, I'm invisible, you can't see me. The disciples were like, okay, let's not talk to Jesus today. Clearly he's having a bad day. They walked by the next day and the tree was completely withered. And I'm reading this, and I'm like, Holy Spirit, you got to help me. Why did you get so ticked off? Why, why did you curse the tree? Here's what I really don't understand. Jesus cursed a tree that had no figs, and it wasn't even fig season. The Bible says it wasn't even the season for fruit. The tree was not supposed to have fruit. Now I'm confused. Why are you so angry? The tree ain't got no fruit, and it's not even supposed to have fruit. As I did some research, here's what I discovered, Columbia. That fig tree was the type of tree that naturally produced fruit before it produced leaves. If you know, kind of in D.C., they have the cherry blossoms and all this other kind of stuff. There's all these different trees and plants that they'll blossom flowers and then the leaves will come in second. Well, this fig tree was the exact same way. It was designed by God to have fruit first, leaves second. So when Jesus saw that it had leaves and knowing that the leaves should come after the fruit, he said, because there's leaves, there better be fruit. And if there's leaves before there's fruit, this is out of order. Somebody say, preach it already. Here's God's desire for our life as a believer that we produce fruit before we look the part. Can I talk for a second? The only problem is, I don't know if church really cares what you produce. I think church only cares about how you look. And because we're church, we've been taught to look saved, to talk saved, to dress saved, to, to respond saved. I'm, I'm, how you doing? I'm so blessed. I'm, I'm too blessed to be stressed. Well, them shopping bags under your eyelids tell me that you, you stressed. You may be blessed, but brother, you stressed. 
God is good all the time. And what happens is we learn church. You learn when to shout. You learn when to say amen. You learn when to say God is good. You learn when to post a little Bible verse online and let everybody know you're right on track with your Bible reading plan, even though you're 60 days behind, just like your pastor is and all that. We learn to look the part. And the Bible says that Jesus cursed that tree. And here I said, God, you got to help me out. He said, here's why. He said, that was out of order. He said, it's fruit first, leaves second. And he said, anything that is out of order causes chaos and confusion. And he said, wherever there is chaos and confusion, people cannot see Jesus. He said, I can't have people walking up on a tree that has leaves and no fruit because they're going to be confused about the creator that made it. And here's just my thought. I'm wondering, are we having a bunch of Christians in our country and in our world where we have the leaves of salvation, just not the fruit of salvation? So I know you just bought a union sweatshirt, and I'm so glad you did, and you're wearing your sweatshirt all proud, and your baseball cap everywhere you go, but I'm just wondering, do we have a hat that says union, but no heart that has joy? Are we posting stuff online that says God is good, but crying ourselves to sleep every night from worry of how's this going to turn out? Here's the thing that God said. He said, I need you to produce it before you demonstrate it. Watch this. If he had walked up to that tree and it had no leaves and no fruit, Jesus would have left it alone. He's not concerned about your process. You're allowed to be in process. He said, I don't want you to live a faith that you've learned. I want you to live a faith that you've experienced. Genesis chapter 2, verse 16. Y'all remember the Garden of Eden? God makes this beautiful garden for Adam and Eve, and he said, I'm going to come. This is a place of relationship. This is a place where I want to be with you every single day. Jesus said, I'm going to come down. I'm going to walk with you. Jesus, he didn't like the heat, so he said, I'm going to come in the cool of the day. I ain't going to come with the heat outside. It's humid. I'm going to mess up my hair. I ain't going to do that, but, but I'll come down in the cool of the day. So here's my only rule in verse 16. And the Lord commanded the man, saying, every tree of the garden you may freely eat. But there's one tree you can't eat from. It's the tree of the knowledge. Somebody say knowledge. Knowledge Knowledge of good. Somebody say good. And evil. You shall not eat. For in the day that you eat it, you shall surely die. Now, here's what I've discovered, Baltimore. We read the Bible, but we superimpose what we've been trained, not what it actually says. So here's what I promise you most people think think that that verse said. Most people think that the verse said, God put Adam and Eve in the garden. He said, you can do whatever you want. You can eat from any tree. Just don't eat from the tree of evil. I want you to eat from the tree of life. Most of us think that we put, that, that he put a good tree and a bad tree, an evil tree and a tree. No, 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 no. He said, I don't want you to eat from the tree, hear me, of knowledge. Well, let's talk about this. What's wrong with Knowledge. What's wrong with education? What's wrong with enlightenment? What's wrong with learning something? He didn't say the tree of the knowledge of evil. He said the tree of the knowledge of good. I'm a mess. God didn't want you to learn what was good. Huh? Surely, I mean, I mean, he wants me to be good, right? No, no. He said, I don't want you to know about good and evil. 
I want you to know me. He said, I want your faith to come out of a relationship with me, not from an understanding of rules. Because if all you know are rules, your faith will be intellectual. It will be learned. It will not be experienced. And so many of us, I don't mean to be up in your living room, but so many of us have an intellectual faith where we just know good people do this and bad people do this. And if I want to be good, I need to do this. And if I'm bad, I need to do this. So every time I do this, I feel bad about myself. Anytime I do this, I feel good about myself. And hear me, if you are living a good and evil knowledge-based faith, your life will forever be a wrestle, struggle, and surrender to sin. Because knowledge was never enough to empower right living. You know where right living comes from? I so love my Savior that I don't want to do anything that disappoints him or upsets him or lets him down. So I don't know all that lets him down, but whenever I figure it out, I'm going to walk away from it because he is the one that I desire. I'm living from the tree of life, not the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Can I help you out? If you're struggling with sin, it's not sin's problem. It's relationship problem. You're struggling with gossip. You're struggling with lying. You're struggling with whatever you're struggling with. If you are struggling with sin, it's not because you don't want to do good. It's not because you don't desire to be good. Paul, one of the greatest apostles, he said, the good that I want to do is that I don't end up doing. He said, the exact wretched thing I said I will never do again. He said, that's what I end up doing. Hear me. Right living doesn't come from understanding what's right and wrong. Right living comes from being so in love with God. That you said, God, whatever it is that pleases you, that's what I want. Whatever you desire. You remember Puppy Love back in the day when you first started dating? And you started liking movies that you used to make fun of your friends over liking just because she liked it. You sitting there watching The Notebook like a punk. <laughs> crying at the Titanic and all of that kind of stuff. Just because you fall in love with what the person you love loves. God says, I don't want you to learn a bunch of rules. I want you to fall in love with me. Here's the thing. Jesus was okay with the tree not having fruit because it wasn't the right season. Jesus is okay with you not being a perfect Christian because you're in process. The key is that we just need to be in process. Just as a natural child, when they're born, there's a process. There's a childhood, that infancy. And that, in that infant stage is when that child is establishing the foundation of their life. From zero all the way up to about 17, 18, that's when a child is discovering their, their faith, their foundation, their discipline, honor, obedience. That's where the foundation of a child's life is established. From 18, probably up to about 35, that's that young adult stage. That's that stage where you're not just discovering morals and character, but you're discovering your own gifting and ability, and you're, you're, you're blossoming in all that God has placed inside of you, and you're beginning to develop who he has made you to be. Then you have adulthood from 35 up to 50, 60. I don't know. You can plan somewhere around there, but, but that's harvest season. 
That's the season where you begin to reap all those seasons of discipline, all those seasons of stewardship, all those seasons of pouring into something. That's the season when you begin to receive. And then you have that season of 60 plus, that senior adult, where you're no longer thinking about your harvest, but you're now thinking about generations. You're now beginning to think about when I pass on, I want to make sure that my impact on earth touches my children's 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 children. This might be a parenting message along with a discipleship message. One of the problems is sometimes people skip stages. They don't learn morals, character, and discipline as a child. So now you got to learn it as a young adult. And a lot of young adults, you're 22 and you want to harvest when you should be sowing. So you're buying cars that you can't afford and you're trying to move into neighborhoods that are outside of your league. And what you're doing is you're eating your seed. So when you get to harvest season at 45 and 55, there is no harvest to be had. Ah! And then because you missed the harvest season, you're trying to harvest from 60 plus. So when you should be thinking about the next generation and who's coming behind you and who you can sow into, you're only... Somebody say there's a process. Just like there's a natural process, there's a spiritual process. There's a season when you're a babe in Christ, and hear me, be a babe. It's okay to not have it all together. I was watching, they don't make TV like they used to, but I was watching Living Single back, I mean, years back in the day. I think that show was made by God, but anyway... You never heard it before, Google it. It's one of the classics. But Khadijah, she was going to church. She was going to church for the first time. She went down to a thrift store. She bought a big old Bible. And she's like, I can't go to church with a new Bible because they're going to know I never read it before. So she takes this big old thrift store Bible and she runs it over a couple times with a car. She rips a couple pages out. She, she's just coloring random things. She's like, my Bible got to look like I've read. Listen, if you've never read a Bible, come to church with your brand new Bible that looks like it's never been opened. At least you're here. At least you have one. At least you're looking. It's all right to be a babe. Here's what it's not all right to do. It's not all right to pretend like you've arrived. When you have not arrived, don't put on the leaves before you have fruit. And here's my promise to you. You attended church that we're all right with you not having leaves. As long as you're on the way to producing fruit. You don't, you don't, you don't got, <laughs> I was preaching Easter Sunday. And it was probably my favorite Sunday ever. And somebody cussed in the middle of the service. I mean, everybody's saying amen, amen. It's like, oh, that is good. I said, I said, that's the type of amens I want. Sometimes, <laughs> I said, it is good, isn't it? They was just like, this is good. I don't know what to say in church. I just know they shout back, this is good. I said, that's okay. Just don't be saying that after coming to church for three years. But you've been here first Sunday, you can cuss in church. That's just perfectly okay. I was preaching this other Sunday. All this happened this year, by the way. I was preaching this other Sunday. I nearly got a contact high. There was so much marijuana I could smell from the front wall. I'm just, I'm just like, I don't know if anything I'm preaching is getting through. But I'm so glad you're here. You lit right now. But if you... They're in church. They're hearing the hope of God. 
This is where people need to be. And it's all right if you don't have any leaves. Just don't fake. Because if you try to pretend like you have it all together, you'll skip the process. Here's the thing about being a babe in Christ. And don't worry, I got three points. I'll give them to you in three minutes. We're going to get out here on time. He preaching this long intro. I ain't got the point number one yet, man. <laughs> we about to mature us all in one day. Is that what we about to? <laughs> being a babe in Christ. And by the way, that's what we're going to do in the next four weeks. Today's about being a babe in Christ. Next week, we're going to talk about being a young adult in Christ, an adult in Christ, and a senior adult in Christ. Well, it's going to be a great series to play here. But here's the thing about being a babe in Christ. This is the season when your foundation is being laid. Can I just, can I just talk to you for real, for real? But some of us grew up in churches where we had to look more saved than we were. And we had to act saved even though we, we were barely saved. You out there faking tongues and you don't even know what you're saying. So you just, I should have bought a Honda. But I bought a Suzuki. Ow! You just faking. They're bucking. You don't even know. Ow! Can we just be real for a second? You know that wasn't the Holy Ghost when you fell. You just, you, you just... You just want to make the prophet feel good. You didn't want to be the one person that didn't catch the Holy Ghost. So, come on, you, you don't lie to me. You fell out on your own. That wasn't Jesus. But some of us grew up in places where we had to look the part before we were actually the part. Here's what happened. You skipped being a babe in Christ. And here's the thing about being a babe. It's the foundational season. And you don't get to skip putting in a foundation. The problem is a faulty foundation is never exposed in good seasons. It's not until you put pressure on that foundation that you find out what the foundation is made of. And hear me, I've discovered that you can walk with Christ for 10 years before a loved one passes away. You can be saved for 20 years before you have a financial deal. You can go some time before pressure gets applied to your life. And it's not until the pressure gets applied that you realize I can speak in tongues, but I don't have the basic foundation of my faith, and I'm not able to make it through this season. Listen, there's nothing wrong with being a babe in Christ. If you're a babe in Christ, hear me. If you're a babe in Christ, just don't skip that season. Because if you'll skip it, it'll come back to hurt you. Three quick thoughts. Three quick thoughts about being a babe in Christ. The first thing is this. I must be born again. This is, going to, this is going to be so basic. This is going to be so lame as you're going to be like, huh? I knew that. I must be born again. We, we, we did child dedication last week. And I was looking at the platform, all the babies getting dedicated. I said, listen, Union Church is going to grow. We're going to grow by hook or by crook. We're either going to make members or we're going to find members. But we're going to look like y'all been busy through this pandemic. It was just... As we couldn't go nowhere, ain't no vacation. So might as well party at home. Anyway, I'm with you. I made one too. Anyway, if you see everybody that's having children now, especially with Instagram and social media and all that kind of stuff, people get really creative on how they announce the gender of their baby. There's all these different, you know, you shooting cannons in the sky, and balloons popping and all that. My wife, when we had my son Roman, she's like, I want to do one of those. And I know you like golf. So she got a golf ball that had blue dye in it. 
we went out in a driving range, and she takes this slow motion video, and I swing the club, and a golf ball explodes, and all this blue powder goes off. We post it online. Oh my gosh, it's a boy! Like, you gonna name him Steven? No. No, Steven Jr. It's my name. Get your own name. I made some of this name. I ain't gonna give you my name. It's not that easy. Go do your own. So here's what happened. When we announced to the world that we were having a son, everyone's like, wow, it's a boy. Congratulations. We're excited for you. Hope he looks like his mama. Hope he looks like his dad. You know what nobody said? Nobody said, where is he? Nobody said, can I see him? Nobody said, can I hold him? Here's why. Because everybody knows that there is a gap between conception and birth. When you announce a conception, everybody knows there's a process before it comes to life. There's the moment when you're pregnant, but there's a moment when you give birth. And they're 10 months apart. And during those 10 months, you're, 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 you're incubating that baby. You're nourishing that baby. You're taking the vitamins and the prenatals. And you're going in every four weeks for a sonogram. When you get closer, it's every two weeks. They're making sure that the growth is happening the way it's supposed to happen. But the birth has not taken place yet. Do you know faith can grow in you, but you not be born? As it is in the natural, so it is in the spiritual. You can have faith growing in you, but it has not yet birthed salvation. Y'all know how I preach. We're going to shout amen at the end. Can I get up in it just for one second? There's a lot of people that we call saved that they're not saved. All they've had is the word of faith planted in their heart. And it's beginning to grow. And if it can grow unencumbered at some point, it will birth into salvation. But just because faith is growing in me doesn't mean I've come to the place where I have been born again. Matthew chapter 7 verse 21 says this, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Watch this. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? Somebody say leaves. Cast out demons in your name. Done many wonders in your name. Then he will declare to them, watch this, I never knew you. You learned how to prophesy, but you never knew me. You, you can learn how to do church without knowing the God. of That word knew is the word of intimacy. It means to have a physical encounter with. I'm so tired of some of these funerals where we're lying to people saying, man, they've gone on to a better place. They live the most ungodly life. There's no evidence that they ever surrendered to Jesus. But because we're more afraid of people and we want to comfort family members, we'll lie to a congregation of people say they're in a better place. They may not be. Some of us are calling our loved ones friend. My, my, my son's saved. My daughter's saved. Why? Because they come to church? And I know this is tight, but I'm telling you, it's going to help you. What do you want? Do you want peace of mind or do you want assurity? 
Do I just want to be able to sleep at night and say to everybody I know and say, so I'm good? Or do I want to be certain that they are a son or a daughter of God? Hear me. There is a difference between God's word is exploding in my heart. I'm, I'm starting to get with this church thing. I'm starting to believe that this is the way that I want to live my life and this is good and I'm going to come to church and all that kind of stuff. There's a difference between that and God, I surrender to you. I make you the Lord of my life. I'm no longer the controller. I'm no longer the dictator. As I live, I'm living through you. I belong to you. That is the moment of being born again. Why am I saying that? Because some of you need to be born again today. Because I'm going to lie to you and say, because you're sitting in church, it makes you a Christian. If that were true, you heard a little preacher joke. If you were sitting in a garage, that would make you a car. <laughs> Being in the right place doesn't make you a Christian. Being in a position of surrender. What does that mean for those of us that are Christians? It means that it's our job to care for those that have faith growing in them the same way we care for an embryo. We're making sure you don't bump in anything. We're making sure you have all the food that you need, that you're having all your care, and you're going to the doctor and all that other good stuff because we want to make sure that nothing aborts this journey and that that baby gets to full conception. That's what God has called the church to be. He's called it to be a place that as people are on their journey of salvation, this is a safe place for people to be formed and developed and to grow in Christ. This isn't a place where we're going to judge them because their skirt's too short or their pants blow their butt or whatever. We got prayer cloths for you. Don't be offended. Just put it on and love Jesus. Hear me. This is a place where we are going to walk people to the place of salvation. Not judge them before they get there. I'll make you shout in a second, but can I get a little bit more serious? All over this country, I don't know about other countries, but I have friends all over this country, churches of every size. There is not many churches, probably not one, that is back to 100% attendance after the pandemic as before the pandemic. Most churches are seeing about 40% of the people in physical attendance than were before the pandemic. Now, some of the people that have not returned, it's been a health concern. I have somebody in my house that, 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 that is, you know, susceptible sickness or whatever it may be, and I just want to be cautious and safe and all that other good stuff. And by the way, if that's you, there's nothing wrong with that. It's important to be safe. Some of y'all just hard head. Y'all need to get the vaccine, and I don't know what you're doing, but anyway. Yeah, but everybody's just, you know, they're just kind of doing their thing, but that's not where the 60% is at. If I were a guest, I would say there's about 30% of people that haven't come back to church that have a legitimate reason because of health. I would say this, though. There's about 30% of people that haven't come back to church because they were never saved in the first place. I literally had friends that they were in church for three months before the pandemic hit. They were coming every Sunday. They're growing. They're reading the Bible. And faith was growing in them, but it had not yet birthed into salvation. And that pandemic hit and it just kind of threw life cycles off. And it aborted a process of faith that was working in them. That's why it's our job as a church to pray people to the place of salvation, to love them, to encourage them, to protect them, to cheer them on until they get to the place where they say, God, I surrender to you. The second thing of this infant stage is this. I got to learn to trust the Father. I must learn to trust the Father. Have faith in God. I can't. I've only been saved for three weeks. You ever thought about some stuff we tell you to do in church? You're like, I don't know how to do that. Just trust God and provide. I can't. I don't really know him. My, my son, Roman, he, he, he's, he's daring. He's all boy right now. 
Like, I mean, if he's on a stair and you're walking by, he's jumping. He, he ain't worried about if you're looking. He's not concerned about if you can catch, if you're athletic, whatever. You walk, Because he's learned to trust. I, I taught him to do that. And if I knew that he was going to start jumping off of tall things, I would have never taught him. But from when he was one, as soon as he could stand up, I'd put him on the kitchen countertop and I'd say, and I'm like, pray for me. I'm a dad. I'm not always the best dad. Sometimes I push him. And I'm like, you're going to learn to trust me, boy, because I'm your dad. And I'd push him and he'd fall and I'd catch him and then he'd laugh. Then I'd put him back up there and he wouldn't jump and I'd push him and he'd fall and I'd catch him and he'd laugh. But after a while, he learned and he figured out, and he wouldn't quite jump. He just, <laughs> because infants aren't born with trust. You know, that's why babies cry, right? Because they don't trust you to feed them. Hey! 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 I know it's three in the morning, you sleep, but I'm hungry. I don't know if you're going to wake up, so I'm going to wake you up. Feed me. They got trust issues. They don't trust you to change their diaper. I mean, come on, look at you. You ain't going to check. I'm not going to check. Hey, what? Hey, what? Check me. They learn trust. Just as a baby learns to trust their father, so a Christian must learn to trust God. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 says this, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he shall direct your path. You learn to trust him in all your ways. You don't just pop out trusting him. How do I learn to trust him? You can't trust somebody you don't know. You can't know somebody you don't spend time with. The more time I spend with him, reading his letters to me, reading his love to me, reading his promises to me, the more I realize there's not one problem I could face that there's not a problem he's not given me. There's not one thing that I can encounter in life that he can't be trusted to move through. We're in a season where people don't trust the word anymore. I know that's what the word says, but it's 2021. In 2021, no, 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 no. The word supersedes the year. Because the word is not a book. The word is the DNA of our Savior. And he is trustworthy. He has never failed. I love when David was struggling to trust God. He would kind of check himself and he'd say, why so downcast? Oh my, put your trust. And he said he would remind himself of how faithful God has been. And David would literally be having a pity party. He said, stop. He defended me from the lion. He defended me from the bear. He defended me from Goliath. Why am I worried about Absalom? Or why am I? He is trustworthy. I got to learn to trust him. The last thing is this. I must learn who I am in him. Before you can graduate from the baby stage of faith, first you got to be born again. First, you got to learn to trust God. There's a lot of people that want to be anointed, but you don't trust God. A lot of people that want a title, but they don't trust him. Don't skip stages. Learn to trust him. Learn to, learn to trust him with your money. Stop checking your bank account every morning. Just like, is it still, is it still there? It's still, calm down. I do the same thing. I, ain't tr- I trust God. I just don't trust Wells Fargo. Calm down. I got to learn to trust. But I got to learn 
who I am in him. If you play, I'll end. If you don't play, I'll preach for another four hours. So go ahead and play. Go ahead this way. Growing up, my dad, his pastor, he would go to these pastor's conferences. He would take me with him. And I used to hate these pastor's conferences because they were long and boring. Wooden benches, talking about stuff I know. Only thing is, if I went, he'd take me out to eat after. So, you know, suffer for three hours, go to a steak restaurant. I'm down. And we'd all sit down like bishops and stuff like that, and they'd pay. So I'm like, I'm real down. Like, I'm getting whatever I want. But I walk in, and my dad's sit up front. He's like, you want to come? I'm like, no, I'm not sitting up front. You can't play Legos up front. You play Legos in the back. Nobody's looking at you in the back. So I go sit in the back, and I walk in. I'd walk in, and I'm just mind my own business. And someone would say, I know you. And I'm, I was a little ignorant as a kid. I'm like, you don't know me. Like, no, I know you. I'm like, I don't know you. You're Ron's son, aren't you? And I'd be like, I am. I am. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's my dad. Oh, man, you look just like your dad. I remember when you were born. I was at your christening. Boy, you're going to be a preacher one day. I was like, no, I'm not. I ain't going to be no preacher. Get out of my face. Then <laughs> I walk a little further. Like, hey, that's Ron's boy right there. They called me Ron's son so many times, I didn't even know what my own name was. Thought my name was Ron's son. At 12 years old, you're just like, oh, leave me alone. By 16, y'all I'm walking in them conference like, hey, Ron's son's here. How you doing? How you doing? How you? Good to see you. Good to see you. Nice to, nice to see you. I'm just, I'm just at, why? Because it had finally clicked with me that my daddy was somebody. And because my daddy was somebody, even though I hadn't done jack squat in life, I was his son. And that made me somebody because of who he was. I wish I had some instant Christians that can learn it's based on who my daddy is, not based on who I am. And some of us are walking through life like, you don't know me. No, no, don't open that door for me. I haven't earned it yet. No, 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 I don't need favor. I got to work because we have this carnal mindset that you only get what you work for. That's when you don't have a father that has set you up. But when you have a father that sets you up, you don't start from scratch. You start from where your father left off. He said, don't you know you received a spirit by which we cry, Abba, Father, Daddy, we are co-heirs with Jesus and children of the Most High God, which means everything that he was, I am. Everything that he has is mine. I don't pick up where I've earned. I've picked up where he's left off. So because he's king over cancer, I'm king over cancer. Because he's king over poverty, I'm king over poverty. Because he's a priest, I'm a priest. Because he's the head, I'm the head. Because he's not the tail, I'm not the tail. If only we understood, I am who I am by the grace of God. Not by my attendance record. Not because of my tenure in church. Not because I've been in your little dumb growth track and I didn't join your dream team and now I earn respect from God. No, because I'm a son and a daughter of the most. Hear me, Union Church. That's the basics. Like the basics is learning how to spell your name. There's so many people that have been in Christ for 40 years and you don't know that your last name is King's Kid. You don't know that your last name is Child of the Most High, a.k.a. don't mess with me because I know who my daddy is. Let's not skip steps. We'll be mature eventually. But today, God, I just need to learn how to trust you. 
And this is like I need to learn that I'm a child of the Most High God, which means I will lack for nothing. Father God, we're grateful. We're thankful. God, the, the Bible says you have adopted us into your family. We are orphans no more. We're not on our own anymore. We don't got to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps or make something of our lives. You've made something of us. You said that you jotted down every day of our lives in a book before we even walk one step. So God, I pray for a security to come over every single person to the sound of my voice and a surety and anchoring in the fact I'm covered. Right where you are, with your eyes closed and your head bowed, if you could pray this prayer with me, say, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? And just give God a moment to make this time to make this message personal to you. Man, I want to pray particularly with those of you that call spade a spade. You're not a Christian. You're on a journey. Faith has been exploding in your heart. You've been coming to church or watching online. and You believe in God, but believing in God doesn't make you a Christian. Surrendering to Jesus and giving him control of your life does. Man, I want to pray for some of you that you learned church before you met God. You got all the leaves of religion, but you don't have the fruit of a relationship. I don't got to push you. The Holy Spirit's tugging on your heart right now. Hear me, if that's you, this is your moment. This is the moment that you're going to be born again, and we're going to pray your prayer. But it's not just this ritual that you repent or repeat. This is a moment that as you surrender to Christ, life is exploding in your heart. Can you pray this with me in every room that you're watching? Say, Lord Jesus, thank you for being patient with me. Thank you for not judging me. Thank you for wanting me. Thank you for dying on the cross. So that all my sin, all my mistakes can be erased. And today, my response is surrender. I give you all of me, every decision, every direction, everything that I am now belongs to you. Be my Lord, be my Savior. Thank you that today... I am born again in Jesus' name. Amen and amen and amen. Come on, church. Can you celebrate?